0: Welcome to In Discussion and the Hero Series with creator Dr. Susan Anthony. She was recently quoted, we need another hero generation. And she has a powerful idea for many of the interviews where she underpins the questions in her series with the archetypal themes of finding the hero within. After all, this is what her work is all about. She has invited people onto the Hero Series with her because they have had the courage to make the sacrifices and take risks necessary to inspire the listenership to look inside and find their best selves, and to do something to make our world a better place. Our special guest today, Dr. Brian O'Leary, is a scientist-philosopher with 50 years of experience in academic research, teaching and government service in frontier science and energy policy. He was also a NASA scientist astronaut during the Apollo program, the first to be selected for a planned Mars mission, and participated in unmanned planetary missions as an Ivy League professor. Over the past four decades, he's been an international author, speaker, peace activist, founder of nonprofits, and advisor to progressive US Congress members and presidential candidates. In his latest book, The Energy Solution Revolution, he describes the enormous potential of breakthrough clean energy technologies, their suppression, and their logical necessity for our survival. Zero-point vacuum energy, cold fusion, and advanced hydrogen and water chemistry could provide us all an abundant future for all of humanity. In 2004, he and his wife, the artist Meredith Miller, moved to the Andes in Ecuador, where they co created Montesuenas, an eco retreat and educational center dedicated to creativity and the rights of nature. Dr. Brian O'Leary joins Dr. Susan Anthony on the Hero Series. Welcome back to In Discussion and the Hero Series. Dr. Susie Anthony and our very special guest today, Dr. Brian O'Leary. Welcome to you both.
1: Thank you, and it's good to be back. Hello, David. Good to be back.
0: Susie, I believe that we completed the third level in our first program with Brian. So we are on now to level four. We are meeting with the mentor This is where the hero meets a mentor to gain advice or training for the adventure. And the function of the mentor is to prepare the hero to face the unknown. And they may give advice, guidance or magical equipment. However, the mentor can only go so far with the hero. And eventually the hero must face the unknown alone. And sometimes the mentor is required to give the hero a swift kick in the pants to get the adventure going. Brian, we would like to start with you. You have said that your receiving of personal mentoring stopped around 1987, I believe, when you stopped mainstream employment or belonging to any spiritual organization or indeed following any guru. But you'd also mentioned that you've been inspired previously. Did the work of legendary inventor and engineer Nikola Tesla have any influence and I'm sure that he did Brian and also Susie you have shared with me often How and that most of your power and wisdom has come from uh, direct gnosis turning into source and finding the answers within for yourself And this is what you Teach others to do Brian is this what you do?
2: Well, uh, it's interesting because I haven't been fully conscious of the journey itself um in terms of stages, because I, I surely had some pretty good mentoring within the context of my mainstream years. So, so in my mainstream days, I, I had some really good mentors and at Berkeley and at Princeton especially. And these were people, big thinkers, outside-the-box thinkers, within the context, though, of the mainstream. It kind of helped me become more successful within the mainstream. But as you mentioned, in 1987, I left all employment. And it was around then that I began uh, an intense period of metaphysical exploration.
0: How important was Nikola Tesla to you, Brian?
2: Well, then, it it wasn't until later. Uh, uh, he, He became very important, although he was not maybe as much as you would think he would be. You'd think he would be inspirational to anybody in this field of free energy. But it's actually hundreds of unsung Teslas who are now alive and doing this research and have not been recognized at all. And these are the people that I consider the, the true heroes of our time. And if you talk about mentoring, well, I, I kind of made a, a, a an individual occupation of it to go and visit the best and brightest. Uh, consciousness researchers and inventors. I I personally went to their laboratories, did experiments with them, photographed them, wrote books about them and this was definitely a journey that was by myself but in a way those people were mentoring me as well as I was getting more and more on my own path.
1: Awesome stuff Brian and David if I can just add, I mean I touched briefly in the last program on honoring mentors and definitely these these people who are following on in the footsteps of tesla the secret heroes hats off to them i really do honor them all and you know some people feel uncomfortable talking about other people in an honoring way and normally it's because they're lost in competing and the illusion of lack and they're afraid To mention or honor their mentors and we honor ourselves and we increase our own personal self-worth and self-esteem and this leads to true love and also people trust and accept us more readily when we can give credit to our mentors who've been responsible with our cooperation of course but for the success that we enjoy today and I'll give you an example my book for instance it's not really my award winning book because so many people mentored and inspired me to write it and as Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun and it's it's a synthesis of all kinds of teachings and but let's just remember all the people who participated in this book project the editors the publishing agents the paper makers it's all about team effort and mentoring from all kinds of directions and all heroes have mentors whom they recognize that without them they wouldn't be where they are today as you've just said Brian, yet an ordinary person sees life in terms of independence, we're encouraged in fact to be independent but this is a kind of false heroic isolation I think and heroes have come to recognize and choose interdependence, honoring everyone who's co-created their success.
0: May I just ask you a question just before we proceed, Susie, out of interest?
1: that That yes. balan-
0: balance of ego that we talk about in mm-hmm. accepting those attributes, accepting those awards, what is the balance of ego in loving yourself and being prepared to accept the pride of being adorned with some sort of uh, award or prize from others?
1: Well, you know what? False pride is the true evil. Having pride in a job well done and something accomplished that serves the greatest good of the whole is really balanced. And it's kind of like, you know, the Job initiation, I call it. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the Lord. And someday the red carpet will be rolled out, fine. And someday somebody else will be on the red carpet and you'll be sitting on the pavement. And that's also fine. It's about that balance and staying centered. And that's why... You know, the shamanic psychological re- recapitulation work is so important because you then develop that inner clarity and purity so that if, you know, ego raises its ugly head, you can put everything back into perspective and remember you're here to lead but you're a servant leader. That's the hero path.
0: Brian, let's go back to the Pentagon Papers and there heroic actions of Daniel Ellsberg who was this inspiration to you on some level to help you stand in your truth you know no matter what you lost or how difficult it became and I know I have been guided by the words about to thine own self be true as Susie's just talked about the sacred wisdom when applied of course of another great hero who definitely but the system christ how do you see this how do you view this place
2: well um, yeah dan, dan ellsberg is one of my heroes no question about it he, he did a very courageous and wonderful thing uh... and nowadays it seems like the quintessimal hero is one who was in the inside and is blowing the whistle and uh... yes jesus christ is another one of those and it's definitely, uh, you do have to buck the system. And uh, believe me, I've, I, the last uh, since I left uh, mainstream employment and I was no longer beholden to, the, um, uh, to, to playing the game with the mainstream, and that was 1987, as you point out, uh, people like Ellsberg stand out uh, uh, just as, as true heroes, as well as many other people nowadays who are coming forward. Uh, I would include in that group uh, the private Bradley Manning um, and uh, the WikiLeaks people, Julian Assange, and so forth, as being examples, uh, shining examples of people that are really making headway in a very, very difficult time.
1: Jeffrey Weigand, Dr. Jeffrey Wygan, the big tobacco whistleblowing scientist. And, you know, these are patriotic whistleblowers. That's the difference that's that's the really heroic thing
0: do you think that that position that people are taking is very prevalent and particular to our times today Susie more than any other period before
1: absolutely and here comes my favorite quote all it takes for evil to persist is for good men to do nothing so these are good men who have done something and They deserve to be honoured for it. They are heroes. Great stuff.
0: We move to crossing the first threshold, where the hero crosses, leaves the ordinary world, and goes into the special world. And here the hero agrees to face the consequences of dealing with the challenge posed in the call to adventure. Brian, in 1975, you accepted the position with U.S. Congressman Morris Udall and his subcommittee on energy and the environment as senior energy advisor and presidential campaign advisor. And sadly, you also went through a marital separation and lots of challenges. And that was followed in 1976 when you were offered faculty appointment in the Princeton physics department by Gerard O'Neill to work on visionary space settlement manufacturing concepts that a great integration of your past and possible off-planet environmental solutions but clearly not enough in the long run to really solve problems so whilst this was all happening in the ordinary world a couple of years later you had your first remote viewing and healing experiences pointing the way to a new career path for you, a new science and consciousness, and you had already raised this earlier in our series. With hindsight, now, do you agree with Susie that this was probably your crossing the first threshold experience? Would you like to share on these years?
2: Well, yes, uh, David. I during the um, uh, the nineteen seventies, the latter part of the nineteen seventies, I. Uh, well, well, the Udall job was, was a great experience, and it was a very risky job in a sense because it was just so high pressure. I was one of his four inner inner sanctum advisors, and the other people were extremely competitive and popping dexedrines and staying up around the clock. And it was a very high pressure job, which led to uh, uh, my ex-wife asking me to uh, leave, which was very uh, uh, emotionally very very rattling uh, to say the least uh, but then we got back together and went to Princeton which was like in a sense buying time uh, so uh, you you could almost say that I was uh, refusing the call for a while because I didn't really know what the call was uh, at that time but I was surely very I, 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 I had great challenges And when I was at Princeton, what I decided to do was to take a life spring training, which really changed my life. I had a remote viewing experience. I had some healing experiences. And then a couple of years after that, I had a near-death experience in an automobile accident. And all of these things were signposts that uh, the metaphysical world was beckoning, that there was much more to... um, uh, life than just uh, materialistic Western science in the physics department of Princeton University. And uh, I, I began to realize that I didn't fit in there. And uh, so when I left there, and it seems like leaving places are, are bigger milestones for me than uh, coming to places. And I sure had tried a lot of academic institutions, each time thinking the new one would be better, would give me more of an opportunity to. Uh, to apply my my tools. But I couldn't in good conscience uh, stay there or continue to do that science because I realized then that consciousness was the ground of all being and that, in fact, we could um, prove a lot of metaphysical concepts in the laboratory scientifically, uh, experiments such as Bill Tillers and many, many others. And so I made it my livelihood to spend the 80s um, and into the 90s going around the world and visiting the best and brightest inventors and researchers and boy boy, what a a time that was, what a learning experience but also very difficult because um, I I was then became on my own I had two kids to send to college so I was constantly trying to balance uh, money considerations with with what my spirit was telling me what to do
0: You became Uh interested in Joseph Campbell's work and in our notes that that Susie provides here, we talk about this balance. Did that balance come about prior to the interest in his work, or was it Joseph Campbell's work who gave you that ability to find balance?
2: Joseph Campbell was truly one of my mentors. One time I was perusing, I think it was the New York Times, Sunday Times, and it was I think it was on the 10th anniversary of the Apollo Lunar Landing, which was 1969, so it would have been around 1979-1980. He wrote this brilliant article about how the space age symbolizes uh, entry into a whole new era. And the quote from him that I love the most is, Apocalypse does not point to a fiery Armageddon, but to the fact that our ignorance and our complacency are coming to an end. I found that line so inspirational because what I was still trying to do is link inner space with outer space, uh, still hanging on to my outer space career, which which was well paid for, uh, into an inner space career, which underlies a whole new science that if we can only um, uh, pursue it uh, along the lines of, of what we've been discussing on the programs of Bill Tiller and Uh, Mitchell and others, if we can only pursue those sciences more they can form the very foundation and basis of a whole new uh, world that we can all share. Uh,
0: I just
1: have to say, David, I'm, I'm sitting here speechless because Brian has so beautifully described this stage, kind of before enlightenment, wash up, chop wood, stack wood, after enlightenment, wash up, chop wood, stack wood, where Everything on the surface kind of still looks the same, yet inside, we're beginning to live a life that's so completely different, and it's about living a life with higher purpose and discovering greater meaning, which comes from we thinking instead of me thinking, to quote our hero, Joseph Campbell. But inside, Brian, there must have been some amazing transformations taking place, and the tension you must have carried could have only been unbelievably significant. Concerning especially the revelations about the suppression of all the science around clean energy alternatives, those secret heroes again. And I can only imagine what kind of a challenge this was for the hero inside yourself emerging. And make no mistake... The way that you have lived your life and all the comfort zones you so beautifully described yourself leaving, that's the hero, the person who's willing at any price to leave the comfort zone, the security in bricks and mortar, the false security, and to live the hero's adventure connected to the hero inside, to spirit and... Boy, you've done that and then some. Thank you.
2: Thank
0: you. I thought you were going to give us a long speech there, Brian. (laughs) No. No.
2: No. That's it. No, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Tess, Ali,
1: the long speech is coming now, David. We're entering Tess, allies and enemies.
0: (laughs) Susie, can I just ask you one question? I'm really, really now in my work resonating with this one paragraph. This higher purpose. This higher purpose is a lot about removing yourself from the grid, is it not? It's more than just a sense of determination. What sort of spiritual emphasis takes over at this stage?
1: Well, it's it's not just, so, you know, I mean Christ's words were be in the world but not of it. And Buddha said the same things in different words. It's about um unplugging from all the control and programming to be able to think for yourself and to be able to choose from a connection to your inner self your higher self to be of service and it's to sum it up in a nutshell i think joseph campbell said it it's the shift from me thinking To we thinking? And then Martin Luther King said, you know, greatness isn't the size of your salary or your car, it's service. That to me is is about higher purpose. And now
2: I'm really getting that. Uh, I I mean, it's taken me several bouts, uh, several encounters and several events in my life to get to the point where really I'm 100% in that camp.
0: What about that word disconnection, Brian? How much did that apply at this stage?
2: Oh, well, huge. Uh, I mean, it was a huge thing because here I was, a successful career person with a secure university position, and uh, the world was my oyster. You know, I could uh, basically retire and, and hang out in the faculty club and uh, publish a few papers, teach a few classes, and I'd be all set. But um, with what, what what the rumblings inside of me, were a combination of just not feeling satisfied about that, knowing that there was more than this uh, academic world that was rather competitive and at times backbiting. And also the metaphysical training that I had, which was multifaceted. I I went to so many different spiritual workshops, different, I I was looking at some of these uh, basic questions of life from many, many different perspectives until I finally was getting it, that that the action was there and not, um, not in my career.
0: We talk now about your tests, allies and enemies. And this is where the hero faces those tests, meets allies, confronts enemies and learns the rules of the special world. Having crossed the threshold, the hero faces tests, encounters allies, confronts enemies and learns the rules of Campbell's special world and the hero needs to find out who can be trusted and allies are earned, a sidekick may join up or a whole hero team may be forged and this is when the hero prepares himself for the greater ordeals yet to come. What kinds of special world rules or practices did you discover through all the tests along the way? What do you apply daily in your life today in order to keep open your bridge to higher consciousness a favorite topic of Susie's by the way do you concur with Einstein who suggested that the solutions to all of our problems exist at a higher level of consciousness than the limited level of perception in ego where the problems have been created and that we can access this special world, this higher level of consciousness through working to create a balanced, there we go again, that magical word, integrated, coherent brain state.
2: Well, yes. I, uh, again, I think that in a sense you could say that, that I was uh, always up for the adventure. But the context of the adventure shifted to a, a more metaphysically and service-oriented point of view. And what, what I wasn't prepared for when I left the mainstream was how rejected I would be by the mainstream. No invitations to go back. Uh, hardly anybody in the mainstream would listen to me. They still don't, <laughs> and that's just fine. <laughs> uh so I I realized and and um this is fast forwarding of course was that my recent heart attack was was uh, a a living or dying uh moment in which I I had to reaffirm that I'm here to be of service. And so like last April I took a trip to the US uh I know I'm on various lists uh, uh, the, the government basically doesn't like me, and some people in the government especially don't like me and what I'm doing because it goes against their grain. And yet uh, I just kept repeating the mantra that I'm taking this trip to be of compassion and to be of service. And that really is, is getting me through. And uh, I realized that I have a contract here, and, and that contract was being formulated back uh, in the uh, early 80s when I jumped ship from the mainstream.
0: Is it still a scary time when you enter the port, when you come back into the United States?
2: Well, it is sometimes, but uh, this last time I just kept repeating the mantra and I uh, walked through everything with great confidence.
1: What I wanted to talk about at this stage was how you'd shared with me so bravely that it was at this time in your life lost under the influence of alcohol that you committed the one and only violent act of your life and that no real damage occurred, a couple of bruises, but the blessing was learning a hard lesson and that this was your first exposure to the extremes of life, you say, and the transcendent possibilities that lay ahead. And you also said that eventually you were able to give up alcohol and I know at some point you'll tell us how But I wonder if it involves some kind of spiritual experience is so often the case and as is suggested by famous psychologist Carl Jung. What I'd like to comment on for listeners is about possibly the greatest positive event of the 20th century which occurred in Akron, Ohio in June 1935 when Bill W. and Dr. Bob convened the first AA meeting. It was not only the beginning of um, the self-help movement, but the beginning, I feel, of the integration of science and spirituality at a grassroots level, but also what I consider to be the beginning of a genuine community movement. Um, I don't know what your involvement has been with any 12-step fellowship, but it's definitely about the power of community. And that's the other reason why, like M. Scott Peck, I think of addiction, as I said before in the last program, as a sacred disease. And when I used to be part of a fellowship and get together with my friends, we'd often conclude that very probably the universe deliberately created the disorder of alcoholism and drug addiction in order to create alcoholics and addicts in order that these alcoholics and addicts might create the 12-step fellowship and thereby spearhead the community movement, which certainly was my own personal salvation, I have to say, and millions of addicts before and after me too. But if everyone embraced this powerful psychological breakthrough work, the necessary work of reconnecting to spirit, the hero inside, then this community recovery, this recovery of the hero inside us all, our best selves, which then guides us, or who then guides us to live our best lives. I mean, don't you think this just could precipitate collective salvation? What do you think, David and Brian?
2: The alcohol thing, uh, although the the most poignant experience was 1979. Again, it wasn't a linear thing. I uh, finally quit, which was wonderful, and I have had the uh, the wonderful help of uh, some AA friends, and I help them too. So it's it's a, it is a wonderful fellowship and uh, uh, a nice mutually supportive effort. Because there's no question that uh, although I, the first. You see, the first uh, reason for having uh, alcohol or maybe having too much, I'm sure as you know, is a quest for spirit, a quest to become at one, a quest to alter the consciousness because what's going on here, there there just doesn't seem to be enough. It doesn't seem to be resonant with what we really need to do. So in a way, I I almost call those years... Uh, part of my metaphysical exploration, for better or for worse, and it was only later that I realized that I didn't have to have that. In fact, I didn't have to have anything, to, <laughs> to uh, participate in the world and be of service. And and then, in fact, I could I could do a lot better at it without. So it it, it took me a few hard lessons through the years to be able to get to that stage.
0: Susie, can I ask you? Is this also part of a general confusion that will often come back to haunt us?
1: Well, you know, we turn to a substance or we fixate on a person or place or thing in a compulsive, obsessive way. It's always a distraction or an avoidance. It's an unwillingness to really face our pain and... There is, as Jung said, when you jump into that alchemical cauldron of pain, that soup on the boil, you can't jump out. You actually have to dive deeper and go through it.
0: Could I just ask you, Brian, in regarding Carl Jung, was there an influence there during this period?
2: I've certainly uh, uh, become very familiar with his work and the work of many of, of his disciples. and. The part of it that that really appealed to me the most was the concept of the collective unconscious, which is really a- col- uh, a collective unconscious becoming conscious. I had many experiences of that, whether it 's remote viewing, feelings of oneness with the universe, and I began to be realize that through uh, meditation through allowing myself to re- just relax, get out of stress uh, which which is is probably my number one. <laughs> challenge right now is is avoiding stress, um, that, that that it really does exist and that collectively we can truly do miracles um, much more so than as individuals and that's what got some of the Bill Tiller experiments very important to me and other experiments too. Experiments with the random event generators and, at the Princeton labs. That the scientific grounding of that is indeed true, is that like bonded couples, when they interact with a, a random event generator, or a random coin flipping machine, uh, they, they do about uh, on the average seven times better than those people as individuals do. And then groups coming together that are, are bonded and are harmonized can do very, very remarkable things and that was very interesting to me both scientifically but also in just terms of my being that, that that i i began to be really convinced that i'm not a separate individual from the rest of the world that uh, and that we are one and through some of my yoga training which was pretty uh in, in, intensive during the 90s in, into this uh the first decade of of uh, 2000s I uh, really got into it much more deeply through some of the the Vedic traditions. So you can say that uh, my life has been, in the last 30 to 40 years, a smorgasbord of a lot of metaphysical teachings, both West and East.
0: Susie, this talks to community and the community that you are personally very involved in.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, I just want to talk about language too as a tool for consciousness because when I studied with the Zulu shamanic teacher, Dr. Credo Mutua, he taught me that their language, they don't talk about, oh, that tree over there, that river over there, that man over there. It's that tree which is part of me, that river which is part of me, that man who is my brother. If you have a sense of that in your conscious awareness, in your language, you're far less likely to create harm. You're far less likely to dump toxic waste in that river or cut that tree down or harm your fellow man because he's your brother, he's part of you. So that's where I first learned about oneness and the the importance of unity consciousness.
0: So the next level approach is where the hero has hit setbacks during tests and may need to try a new idea. Now, newly found herohood and determination is tested here to allow for character building development and find out how we react under that stress. Brian, you, as mentioned just now, suffered your fair share of setbacks and disappointments. How did these really affect you and how do you cope with setbacks and disappointments generally. I know that Susie says that every delay is timely and I hear that a lot from you Susie. And it's, <laughs> yes. And it's good advice. Would you agree, Brian, with her ploy of no resistance, acceptance of what is?
2: Absolutely. That's That, of course, is one of the hardest lessons to learn and um, I would say Maybe in a way, after the pinnacle of my achievement as an astronaut and professor at Cornell, there were setbacks and challenges all along the way, each one being very difficult, and yet each one I handled better, and each one was, (laughs) then I think the universe raised the ante and made each one a little more challenging until I sort of got it. And I, I think I began to really get it during the 1990s. And that's after I uh, partnered with, with my dear wife, Meredith Miller, the artist, who goes with the flow, is very right brain, very spontaneous, which was just the opposite of how I was trained. And so uh, meeting her was, was a very positive thing. And it happened just after a, seri- a series of really severe setbacks mostly associated with with leaving the mainstream and leaving my traditional career path.
0: Susie, we have about two minutes left. Would you like to talk to the wisdom of no resistance and acceptance?
1: Yeah, there's a great anonymous quote that I love, and it's that a man can fail many times, but he isn't a failure until he begins to blame someone else. And I've always come to trust um, the wisdom in that quote, and also that setbacks and delays are always timely that they're giving us more time to discriminate or discover information that's been hidden where people haven't been transparent or honest or it's the universe telling me slow down and rest because here comes another influx of powerful transformational energies or more collective chaos and an open heart feels all this and needs to rest to process so setbacks create that resting period they're not a bad thing they assist us to learn and to grow into incredible people heroes and we can reactivate our ability to recognize choice points and choose choose which bridges to cross which bridges to burn and I'm sure you're both familiar with the work of Viktor Frankl his most famous work which moved me was man's search for meaning which chronicles his life in the concentration camps and how he exerted the power of his will to choose victory over victim consciousness and then was able to use this power to survive. And I learned from his profound work that the power of choice can always keep others alive and even in the most terrible crisis and we can stay alive. So to quote him... We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offered sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstance, to choose one's own way. When I first read that quote, I just was so moved and so empowered. And if I can just sum up at this stage, I would say heroes know that quality of life is about recognizing choice points. And I'm always banging on about this, David, I know. But taking personal responsibility for what they choose and being present, mindful and aware, conscious enough to really ensure that what they say, what they do, what they think are all one and the same. And I think Buddha defined that as happiness.
0: That brings us to the end of this program in this series.
2: Well, I I want to thank you Susie for reminding me of of many of these wise teachings which uh, I read uh, voraciously uh, during my metaphysical exploration years. Uh, Because uh, I think you'll find in a later program that in my case, I uh, landed uh, back into the so-called ordinary world and uh, my metaphysical education kind of came to an end. And so then it became more that I sometimes forget some of the words of wisdom from the likes of Viktor Frankl. So many thanks for sharing that.
1: You're welcome. He was an awesome man.
0: Dr. Brian O'Leary in this second program in the series. Heartfelt thanks from Susie and myself and we'll look forward to the next program with you. Thank you.
1: Thank you. It's been brilliant.
0: And to our listeners today, I do hope that you enjoyed this ongoing series with Brian O'Leary from myself and Susie Anthony. We thank you for listening today and do hope that you enjoyed this program You can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. And don't forget the official website, theheroeseries.com. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org.